Okay. Joining Hunkering Down with Peter Schorsch is Melissa Sellers Stone. Yes. In Tallahassee, correct? Are you live from Tallahassee? The okay. Tallahassee bunker. Um, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I didn't get to uh, pre-warn you, but what basically, in addition to what you sent me, I like to ask everybody, and this will be towards the end. Yeah. We'll do a couple minutes. Um, you know, I, I know that you've been listening, but your recommendations on things, which you have professional recommendations, but also a couple of questions about when coronavirus uh, got real. But for the purposes of right now, tell the audience who you are, what you what you do. Yeah. So I am Melissa Sellers Stone, and I am a professional crisis management, communications, and political consultant. So I've owned my own business for about four years now. After half of uh, my career in government and the other half on political campaigns. So I joke that that's uh, always one crisis or another. And uh, now I have a variety of clients in state and local government as well as businesses uh, on the private side. Um, You are familiar to a lot of people that listen to this. You were chief of staff to Governor Rick Scott. Um, And before that, were you, were you, you worked for Bobby Jindal? I did. Yeah, I did Governor Jindal in Louisiana, his campaign in 07. And then I did his first term in office for four years after that as his communications director. And most importantly, you're basically a new mom, too. I mean, within. I am. Yes. I have two now. Yeah. So I have a six month old and a two and a half year old. And that that's actually been important as we've talked to people, because we've seen a lot of number one, it's been very interesting to watch um, professionals you know, suddenly, you know, they're having to do stay at home stuff. They're having like my wife is um, now, you know, she's Mrs. Mommy. Uh, That's the name that Ella has given her (laughs) as her teacher. Um, And so it's been interesting, uh, the parenting angle uh, to see, you know, like how people, how people are, their lives have been changed, upended, dramatically upended by um, you know, having their kids at home right now. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's a big thing. It is. Uh, you also, and I think it's one of your clients is, and I, I, w- I want to bring it up because I think it gives you such a, a, a good perch. Um, you work with the, what was known as the safety net coalition. And what is yeah. it now? Uh, Critical Care Hospitals, uh, their official name is still the Safety Net Hospital Alliance of Florida, but uh, the new branding, if you will, is the Critical Care Hospitals, since they treat a majority of people in very serious conditions a lot right now, COVID patients, obviously, you're seeing in Jackson, uh, Memorial, those types of specialty centers, Shands, they're also the trainers of about 60% of graduate medical education, so our state's doctor training system goes through most of most of them come through those hospitals and what's been interesting when you put all of this together is the public affairs experts such as yourself have been really uh critical to the healthcare industry right now because they are trying to a get the word out about what is going on on the front lines b help get you know resources into the hospitals you know whether it be uh, the masks, whether it be the ventilators, et cetera. But I don't know any of my uh, friends in public affairs who are not like, you know, working 18 hour days right now. 
Yeah, it's seven days a week, uh, morning, noon, and night. I frequently forget which day it is, which feels a lot like a campaign, as you know, too. So there's just kind of a an, an all-in feeling right now. And the nice part about it is, honestly, you're you're really shoulder to shoulder, not physically, because that would be against guidance, but <laughs> with reporters, uh, with other you know lobbyists, people you might not even get paid to work with. Everyone's really working together. I don't know if you're seeing that too, but there's a sense of camaraderie. You know, we want to ask the right questions. We want to provide the best information, and it's really about saving lives. I, I will say, um, and I know that there's going to be exceptions to this rule, like one of the stories today is the Brooklyn guy who was bootlegging all the masks. I will say this, is, this isn't a 50-50 story where, yeah, there's some good news and there's some bad news. I think people's reactions have been 95% positive. Like, yeah. you know, whether it be – like you can tell like when you talk to – we had a police chief on, we've had a couple mayors on, like crime is down, you know, basically in almost all of the cities in Florida. And it's, I think it's because people are governing themselves accordingly uh, in a way that they just, you know, they, it could have gone either way. It could have been the purge. You could, you could have had people scared. And, and I, I was worried about that. Like I thought people were going to lose their jobs and go crazy and they've, for the most part, they are suffering, and yet there is some sort of like common bond with people right now. Like there is a sense of community like I've never seen. Yeah, I think a lot of that, in my opinion, comes from the fact that we all know someone who is elderly or immunocompromised, and it really just puts a personal angle on it, you know, different than a hurricane. It's not like we can just watch this thing on a map and think, oh, how terrible it would be to be in the cone of error, if you will. But everyone's kind of the cone of error, if you think about it. Everybody knows someone who could be affected or is affected or is in this uh, very critical group to protect right now. And I think we're all, a lot, most of us are operating accordingly. One question I've asked people uh, the last couple of podcasts that I've added into the kind of format um, it didn't apply as much two weeks ago when we started this because people could still remember it. <laughs> what was your last normal day? Oh, um, a yeah, that, that's the reaction. <laughs> people are, were saying, well, last Saturday I went to a wedding. Yeah. And now it's been two or three weeks, maybe even longer for some people. And they're like, uh, I not that they forget, but you know, yeah. what the well, kind of like a creek, right? It's a, it's the frog. How do you boil a frog? Like, I feel like the, the temperature of this is kind yeah. of inched up each day. Yeah. So to think of what's truly normal off the top of my head right now, I would say I really love Trader Joe's and I have not had my normal Saturday morning Trader Joe's maybe in three or four weeks now, uh, where I can just walk up and down every aisle and sample everything and see what wine is on sale. <laughs> So maybe three or four weeks ago, a nice Trader Joe's leisurely experience, no gloves, you know, just the normal amount of Purell for a two-year-old, you know, but. I appreciate what I miss. The Trader Joe's by us, um, they, uh, they put out, not tents, but, you know, they put out coverings for people waiting on the sidewalk, which was so, so Trader Joe's. Uh, yeah. Whereas like other places are like, hey, you know what? You're in line. Sorry about yeah. it. You know, but Trader Joe's or Trader Joe's, it's like, 
no, we want you to have a nice, uh, still have a nice experience. Right, Let me ask you right, also, right. while I've got you, um, maybe you've got some insight here. Uh, how is Louisiana doing? I, I, I assume you still have ties there, et cetera. Yeah, it's really bad there. There's a lot of, uh, as you know, deaths, a lot of hospitalizations, almost everyone. Louisiana is the number one state your listeners might not know where people that are born there also die there. So it's a very family oriented state and most people stay there. They spend their whole lives there or they come back there and raise their families there. They leave for school. So because of that, it's very tight knit communities. Uh, Everybody knows everybody at this point, everyone knows someone who's either been sick or is sick. And that of course comes with a lot of fear, a lot of prayer, a lot of very serious, a lot of hurricane Katrina, flashbacks um, as far as turning convention center type buildings into temporary medical facilities. You know, there's a lot of those memories kind of surging right now in Louisiana. I, uh, of course, everyone loves New Orleans and loves Louisiana, but my brother did live in Baton Rouge for a while. um, And my father, it was his favorite city. And so I've probably been to New Orleans, I'd say 25 or 30 times. My dad worked in uh, Antoinette's and some of the restaurants there back in the 70s. Yeah. He famously tells me that he, you know, he slept in a, I think it was like a door frame for a good six months trying to get um, the job that he wanted at, uh, you know, and he went on to become a chef. And so like, that's how, that's how he, I think that's how he got really into the restaurant business. Uh, So my heart breaks. And yeah. it, it's been breaking for, you know, for Louisiana for, you know, for uh, almost 20 or for 15 years now. And so it's like just when everything is because we were there last year and it seemed like it seemed it wasn't back to back to where it was. It still doesn't seem as crazy. It's still I don't want to say it's it wasn't Disney by any means, but it's, <laughs> it's kind of like Times Square, you know, in the yeah. 70s versus Times Square in the 80s and 90s where it's like they cleaned it up so much that you don't recognize it. Right, right, right. And some parts of, of the city were like that. Um, okay. So we've got, I, I want to talk to you. You sent over a really, I thought it was a smart document. I think I'm going to post it on the, the site as well. Um, yeah. You know, especially like, I don't want to say people are, how people react right now, you know, you have to have some forgiveness for people that um, that make mistakes uh, or um, maybe they don't know something and they they respond not inappropriately, but they just respond without a full set of knowledge. Yeah. Uh, but then there's people who do know better and and they should know how to respond in crisis situations. And this is the ultimate kind of crisis situation right now. You sent over a document how to best respond to that. Why don't you, instead of, and I am going to ask you for a good Netflix recommendation so you don't get off the hook like everybody else. Good, don't worry. I love Netflix, so. Give me, give me, boil that down a little bit to the, yeah. the points. So I, I spent most of my professional life or most of my life, honestly, just working um, for, you know, 25 or so years. And um, that, was translated immediately when I got married, had kids, which is only about two and a half years ago when my first son was born into real life crisis. Um, after my son was born, uh, we were told he had multiple midline deformities, which is code for, we think there's a lot of things wrong with your newborn baby and we don't really know exactly what it is yet. 
And so I was kind of thrown into this new space of having to adapt crisis management training professionally from the BP oil spill, um, certainly Gustav, Hurricane Ike in Louisiana, as well as hurricanes in Florida, campaign management skills. And I searched the internet actually at the time, and there was really not a personal life, what I call a field guide for when it all goes to hell. So I started taking some notes um, for myself in that period of time where you're going through multiple testing, 21 days in the NICU, what ended up being open heart surgery at two months after his heart failed. Oh. Um, and then another surgery at nine months to correct his cleft palate, which of course, nine months up to that point, we had um, every single feeding, which as you guys know, you feed a baby a lot, was very difficult because he couldn't really swallow without getting air um, in there as well. So there was a lot of journey in that that I kind of uh, pulled back from and developed what I call this field guide for when it all goes to hell and how to apply some six simple steps to any crisis. And this certainly, as you said, applies to people in any walk of life they're in right now. This is a very challenging crisis situation. Um, it could be the loss of a job. It could be mental health access to, you know, AA meetings. I've heard, you know, those are problematic right now, people that are used to depending on that. So whatever particular crisis you're in, I sort of wrote these up and wanted to share them with you, Peter, as a kind of first official foray into publishing them or broadcasting them and hoping they help uh, anywhere, anyone where they this crisis finds them today. All right. So number one is recognize that it's all gone to hell. Yes. Uh, and I feel like for as long as it feels like we've been in this situation, I I feel like last night was the first time the entire country, or about 80% of it, uh, recognized that we are in a hellish situation. I saw the president's tone as very somber. I, yeah. There was none of the, the back and forth with the media like he likes to get into. Yeah. Um, it was, and then I saw people immediately react like to that and kind of, the, I, I joked with, I'm not, I didn't joke, I said, I tweeted, you know, the people who have been saying things like the cure is worse than the virus and it's just like the flu. Yeah. I think that they kind of recognize that, okay, between Sunday's announcement that, you know, we're not going to be back in the pews on Easter Sunday and then last night's announcement that, you know, 100,000 to 200,000 Americans could die. I think Trump country has now moved to where it, um, where it, is today, which is cognizant that this is a war setting. So, are we? Is that where we're at now? Have we? Do we Do you think that 80, 70 or eighty percent of us are now recognizing the gravity of the situation? I hope so. I'll I'll tell you, it's an important first step because what happens if you don't recognize you're in a crisis situation and the old rules don't apply? And the metaphor I use is you you've sort of set sail upon the sea of uncertainty and you're no longer walking on the dry land of what you knew as normal. Mm -hmm. So the problem, if you don't recognize that is each day you get up, you're frustrated, you're upset, you're missing your routine. You're, you're kind of in this mental battle with yourself, really, that things aren't where they used to be in your life. You know, you're kind of stumbling around in the dark of this new reality. So yeah, I heard the same tone in the president last night when you talk about a hundred to 200,000 Americans dying and that's the sort of scientific projection that's very sobering. 
And I think that that's certainly affecting everyone's tone as they sit back and buckle up for what will be a continuing unfolding of uncertainty in front of us. Okay, and then the second step is basically adopt a, a new motto, and especially about being flexible. Um, what's your motto right now? Like, what do you, like, how are you, because it's, it's you know, it's not like that we're shuttered in, but we're mostly stuck in. So how do we, how do we get through this next 30 days? Yeah, so being flexible and adaptable is a key. Anyone that's worked for me professionally on any a situation we've been in every single day, I say, what are you? And they all, all answer, we are flexible, we are adaptable, because that helps create a team atmosphere around you. Uh, me personally right now, because I have kids at home, as you said, and I'm trying to work uh, somehow seamlessly or not so seamlessly, depending on the day during all of this, uh, is to have enough grace and wisdom for each day, because you have to make decisions, you have to move forward, and you also have to have grace with yourself and others to know that we're all just doing the best we can. <laughs> um, all right. Talk about, and I keep, uh, this is a terrible metaphor, not a terrible metaphor. It's, I think I read that you can, within six months, a person can adapt even to prison, like that they will think that they can find joy, even in uh, assuming that it's not, you know, Oz or some horrible situation. Uh, but that a person, even within six months that humans are so, adaptable yes so number three is to establish a new normal this is the most transformational you know practical advice for all the practical people i know that listen to you um this is key i'd say to find one to five things this is not a lot of things it's a time of uncertainty but these are things you can do every day and you can control every day because it gives you a sense of again certainty or control in a situation and a time where you have very little and it's very frustrating, it's very emotional, it's physically tiring or mentally tiring. So for me and all those days in the NICU and that sort of bottom out journey time of life, it was just committing to shower each day, which isn't anyone who's ever had a baby knows that that's actually a lot of work <laughs> to make yourself wake up and shower and get dressed. And I would even put on makeup each day and tell myself I'm kind of faking it until I'm making it. Uh, but if that's your one baseline thing you're doing every day, do that. If you can get up to, you know, this in this particular crisis, because we're at home, I try to plan what I'm going to have for lunch and then what I'm going to make for dinner. And that gives me a sense of certainty in the day that, well, at least I know I'm having chicken and then we're having salad. So they can be very simple things, but try to find that one thing, or even if you can get up to those five things that you're going to do each and every day and tell yourself, this is my new normal. This is the one thing I do every day now that'll stay the same. I'm going to make myself a cup of coffee at 2 p.m. or whatever your thing is and do that each day is a, a sense of routine for yourself. And I know you're talking about there's great stories as far as even people that were hiding from Nazis um, in these prison camps and tournament camps and they would talk to the ants on the ground, you know, so there's. There's the human capacity to find joy and suffering and sorrow is amazing. Louisiana, as you said, is a great example of that. And we are all a very resilient people. So looking for that new normal, looking obviously even beyond that routine for some glimpses of joy is a great way to, to cope through these times of anguish. You know, um, that, that that's great advice. And I find myself trying to, you know, try and do that 
and I, I hate straying from it right now. Like I feel so, I, I feel let down if I don't get through my five things that I'm trying to do. And I think people should also realize like if they started a new routine now and like, think about um, it's going to be, you know, let's say May 3rd, May 5th, when, you know, things are, are starting to get better. Think about the progress that you will have made if you set like a goal, an aspirational goal. You know, I, I bought a gorilla bow uh, workout thing and I'm into day two of that. I'm like, yeah, it sucks. But imagine getting through on the opposite end of this. This is imagine where you're going to be at on May 3rd. No one else is going to know, you know, if you're uh, if you're walking each day, if you're, you know, cutting out something, if you're doing something. I, I just this is such a great time to start. um that routine that you that you've always wanted to um, that you may not I um I talked with a previous guest just in the last podcast about uh about information about making the best uh making decisions excuse me making the best decisions with the facts that you have um right now in front of you yeah I I think that there's a little I think one of the problems challenges what have you that people have is that people like you and I, yes, we are reading the Washington Post every day, but 90% of the community doesn't have the Washington Post. No, 99% of the community (laughs) doesn't have the Washington Post app on its phone. And so as you're talking to people in your school, you know, you got to realize that, no, they don't, they have not read Axios today. So they don't know what the latest projections are out of, out of South Korea. And right. so you got to kind of dial it down a little bit. And I want to go into your point, but I feel like there are some of us who are information oversharers. I certainly am in that place right now. Yeah. But what you've got to recognize is your neighbor has not read 200,000 words on this because you know what? They've been going about their, their lives. Yeah. Sometimes people who are going to be listening to this podcast, we absorb so much. We read so much. I found myself yesterday, I was asking some of my friends, um, I'm like, am I Corona crazy? And they're like, <laughs> what do you mean? I'm like, I feel like, you know, like Chicken Little a little bit. And they're like, no, 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 no. You may be doing this. You could be doing that. And I, I got some good feedback. But I feel like, man, it's, it's too much information, a bad thing sometimes. But go ahead, please. Tell yeah. me about number four on your yeah, number four is making the best decisions with the facts you have at the time. Um, and I think the biggest point in this, and you're kind of hitting on it, regardless of how much information you have, don't freeze. You know, freezing is falling behind in a time of crisis. And so many people are intimidated with, you know, well, I'm not an expert. I'm, I don't work at the CDC. I don't know if I should go to the grocery store or not, or I don't know if I should take my kid out of daycare because daycares are still open. You know, obviously gather information that you can, you know, and use your your instinct, your gut, your best judgment. You know, everyone has different resources available to them, especially at a time like this. But don't freeze. Don't hide under the covers and refuse to get out and do nothing and pretend like or pretend like everything's the same as it was yesterday because you don't have every single piece of information together. And this is sort of that uh, trap that perfectionists have, I guess, of needing to know everything or see everything before they can really feel confident in that decision. I would say use your gut and know that this is as much as I know today. Like you said, two weeks ago, three weeks, we were in totally different places. Some of us having normal routines 
and that that time has passed. So it's important to just keep moving forward as best we can day by day. I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but that's what podcasts are about. Do I, it. I think one of the things that you and I, um, although you know we don't know each other very well, but I think something that we share in common is um, we are much softer <laughs> as people yes. than maybe the world perceives us because, hey, listen, you were in a high-powered job. Chief of staff to a governor is like, I mean, I was I was explaining to Ella Joyce last night because I was talking with Shane, yeah. like trying to explain who that is. And right, right. she got it finally. And she's like, wow. And, <laughs> you know, it's not the easiest job. And no. I'm out here tweeting bombs, you know, going at Jose Oliva and and and, you know, thinking that I know what's best. And, you know, but I think both of us have softened because. Um, because of our parents, because we're parents. Yeah. Uh, And that has made us, you know, that's put a little bit of the fuzz on the photos of us. Um, That being said, I'm just thinking, boy, back in the day, I would not have wanted to be in the governor's office and have frozen and hit (laughs) the table if you were in charge and you had asked for something. Like, I'm just thinking, like, I'd rather, like, I could just see that meeting where... The person freezes, and I'm just like, just I, I feel bad for that person. I feel bad for that person that didn't have, um, it's not even the right answer, but that just that shirked from their from their duty. I guess. Yeah, you know, it's actually very common, and especially with professionals. And I mean, this isn't even just government staff, but people in high private companies, you know, that I've seen now really struggle with making decisions about how to react with employees or how to, you know, handle your internal deliberations. And it's actually very common that people freeze. They just, because they want that report that they used to get, right? Like we need to wait till we have the monthly report or the weekly report. And it's like, no, no, this is all hands on deck. As you said, there's no, you're not going to get the usual information you used to get before you made the best and perfect decision. And I I think that's hard for most people. Okay. You've got two more points here. Yeah. we are a little, I try to do these interviews a little bit, but I would say five and six, they're almost number one and two. Um, they really are. They, yeah. And and I will say, like, number five means the most to me, although, although I definitely buy into number six, and I'll let you talk about it, um, especially during this Easter season. Like, I find, I find, like, I just realized I hadn't had communion in like three weeks and i'm like gosh i actually really longingly miss for for that connection um you know number five is ask for help and i will say and maybe maybe i'm not alpha enough um but man i think there's just something so empowering nowadays about asking for help for getting for reaching out to a team and i know that like strong ceos must always have the answer etc and I find myself moving away from that more and more. And like, as I'm on the Slack channel with my team, like, hey, guys, I can't do this without, you know, this person. Can you help me out here? And I just, when you ask for help, I feel like you just so strengthen the bond. You yeah. give everybody such an opportunity uh, to feel like empowered themselves. So go ahead. Hit number five and six here. Yeah, five and six together. Um, five's asked for help. Six is asked for prayer that you kind of touched on. So asking for help is easy. And several studies have proven, I think one of them is even a Harvard 
business one, yes, you're kind of referencing, when you ask for help, you're asking people to be a part of your success. So they're actually buying into helping you. And this can be a personal life struggle. For me, I had to ask many, many doctors to help with my son and people who knew doctors and who was the best doctor. Um, Obviously, in professional crisis management, you're calling in experts or economists or other people. But the more of a team you can have around you of experts, the stronger, and you're seeing this a lot with the president's own briefings. You know, you have five, six people, and when Dr. Fauci's not there, oh my gosh, there's 75 tweets on where's Dr. Fauci. (laughs) You know, having a group around you to advise you, every strong leader, and even in your personal life, you know, don't forsake Googling or anything like that for help. And, you know, ultimately, the last one asked for prayer, as you said, probably the most important one, have at least one person in your life, and you're seeing this a lot right now, reports of suicides and other things from this crisis, but have at least one person in your life that knows every single thing about what you're going through. And a person you can call from the darkest place, the saddest place, uh, explain the worst thing that you just had to see or witness or news you just got, and be able to tell that person what's really on your heart, the sense of connectedness and community certainly asking for someone to pray for you and just intervene for you at those times and plead, you know, to the Lord for you is so strong. And you talk about the irony. I woke up two weeks ago realizing it was Lent because I hadn't given anything up. I'm not Catholic, but I am Christian should have. But, and I realized how God took care of that because he took away so many of my normal things <laughs> during, during the Lenten season and the timing was not lost on me. But uh, definitely ask for help. And if it can be three people in your life, get three people. But asking for help and most importantly, prayer and at a time where you can just bear your soul to someone, it's it's key for any crisis. I um, I uh, I just I find myself it's not I'm not praying for the pandemic or anything like that. I just I in a way I, I know that there are billions of other people praying right now. And in that, I find a a strong sense of community. Um, All right. So those are six very strong, very smart recommendations. And I think knowing that they came from, you can hear it in your voice that you still feel what you went through um, with, with your, with your uh, child that you can still, that you're still, I don't know. It's a, it's visceral. Um, I've so, never talked about it publicly before, so this is kind of a first for me. <laughs> wow. Well, you kept it together really thank well. Thank you. Too. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I want to help encourage others, as I told you. So, But I have a Netflix recommendation for you if that was going to be your next question. I was going to say, help me land the plane here. Okay. Uh, so have you ever watched Grace and Frankie? No. Jane Fonda. Okay. So my name it is. Okay, so my conservative friends make fun of me, but Money Back Guarantee, it is the funniest series on, because it has Jane Fonda, and who's, you know, not, I do not share her political beliefs, but I love her as an actress, and I think she's amazing. It is one of the funniest shows streaming. I've watched every single episode, because I've had two kids now through two pregnancies. I, I probably watched them multiple, five times maybe, and there's six seasons out. So for anyone looking for a good Netflix binge, Grace and Frankie is the name. That's awesome because that is something that everybody is all up about Tiger King. <laughs> I'm almost waiting for the time. So this gives up. That's in your backyard. Here they reopened the investigation into okay. Carol. Oh, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're like, of course I did, Melissa. Uh, no, I just, like, I was thinking about um, – 
uh, Chad Cronister's Monday. Like he had that and he had the pastor who got arrested. And I'm just like, I mean, <laughs> did he just like, did he want like his Google alerts to just blow up all day? Um, right. And just what a PR, uh, what a no, you know, we've got something about like sheriffs around here, like Goltieri, so yeah. well known. Great judge, great judge. You can't get between him and a camera. It's just like I felt like Chad Cronister was like, "All right, hold my beer. I'm gonna show you all how how you get some attention around here." So, all right. Well, this has been fun. Thank, Thank you. you for coming on. Uh, I hope you hunker down really well, and I will talk to you again soon. Same to you. Thanks, Peter. Take care.